to turn to our text. We're going to do uh, two sermons on Galatians 6, 17. Galatians 6. I wasn't in on that. I don't know. <laughs> Galatians six seventeen. The Galatians had become Christians through Paul's ministry. And uh, now he had gone on to preach to other communities, establish new churches. And while he was gone, some Jewish leaders and teachers had come to Galatia and had begun to teach that yes, Jesus was the Messiah, but you also have to be circumcised and you have to attend the temple ceremonies and keep the festivals and even stay separate and eat separate from Gentiles. And so Paul writes this letter to correct additions to the gospel. He says, no, Jesus, when he died on the cross... It was a finished work, a complete work, and you are fully forgiven and fully justified through the cross. And at the end of his letter, it's almost a bit of exasperation, and he says, don't trouble me anymore with this. I bear, Galatians six seventeen. let no one cause me any trouble. I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. And the word marks is in the Greek text, the stigma. Do you know the word stigma? It's a kind of a uh, something that's embarrassing. It's an awkwardness. Paul says, I bear the stigma. The, there's a certain shame that goes with being a Christian. I have borne that shame and the proof is in my body. And of course, what he meant by that was all the beatings and the stonings and the whippings that would have left Paul Mark both in front and in back, probably even disfigured in form and face. So he says... I have borne the shame. I have paid the price to preach this gospel. And so I don't, I don't want these troublemakers coming in and saying that you have to do something other than I've told you to do. It's almost a dismissive. I'm done with it. My point here is that there has always been a certain social stigma in being a Christian. Paul wrote, uh, Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter 4, 16 when he said, if anyone suffers as a Christian, don't let him be ashamed, but glorify God on, because of it. Just praise God that you're suffering for Christ because he suffered for you. Most 
most rid ridiculed faiths begin small, but as they are blessed of God, and if they are blessed of God, they grow and become established and acceptable and lose the stigma to a certain extent. Baptist, for example, started in the 17th century uh, when some believers began to have Bible studies. The Bible hadn't been printed, you remember. And so nobody read the Bible. And they began to read the Bible and realized that baptism is by immersion. And so there are people who ridiculed them. And even... Uh, Authorities and officials came in and arrested them and said, you like water? And so they put them in these dunk tanks and they would hold them underwater and mock them for their conscience in trying to obey Scripture and being baptized by immersion. That's why I've always been a, a, a little bit annoyed when people would say, I, I don't want to get up in front of people. People literally drowned for their faith in following Jesus in baptism, to, which symbolizes the death, which goes when you go under the water, and the resurrection when you're raised up. But Baptists now are somewhat established. Nazarenes in the around 1900 uh, noticed that the churches they attended were a bit stale and boring. And so they began to meet separately and pray for God's power to come down. And, and sometimes they would shout. Sometimes they would um, weep publicly. And so in ridicule, Nazarenes used to be called Noisirenes. But now, Nazarenes are very acceptable. Now if they used to do, if they started doing what they used to do, they may not be so acceptable. Methodist started when some Bible students studying for ministry, began to methodically get up early in the morning every day without fail, read the Bible and pray. So they were called methodical or Methodists because they had this method. And of course, Pentecostals are often referred to as what? Holy Rollers. Because sometimes they would meet and they'd be standing and praising God and they would just fall over under the power of God. Now, I know some of it's fake, but some of it's not. They would just, uh, and people, they had these blanket ministers. They come up and cover the women up with blankets so it's not too awkward. While they lay there in the power of God. Sometimes it just wells up in you. Or comes down on you. And of course Pentecostals by and large today are called charismatics. And they own most of the TV stations. If you turn on any Christian TV it's going to be charismatic. Where's the Baptist? Where's the Methodist? 
In history, these groups have often endured the ridicule and then held sway in history. It's like this in the Old Testament. The stigma of obeying God and following Him in faith. We see it in Noah, for example. In the book of Genesis, it says that originally water would come up out of the ground and water the earth. Like uh, it would uh, come up from springs and fill the atmosphere. atmosphere. But Noah got up one day in Genesis 6 and started saying, water is going to come down from heaven. It's going to rain. And it's going to rain for 40 days and nights. And he preached that for over a hundred years before it ever happened. Now you can imagine the ridicule, the stigma. Lot, which 1 Peter calls a righteous man, in Genesis 19 moved to a place called Sodom. And there, it says his soul was vexed with the wickedness of the people there. And in Genesis 19, verse 8, Lot had two men who visited him and he put them under his roof and being hospitable to these men. And the men of Sodom heard there's some new guys in town and they surrounded Lot's house, young and old, in order to know them, to have sex with them, to rape them. And Lot went to the door and says, Brothers, these men are under my roof. And the men of Sodom said, Lot, stand back. Get out of the way. And here's what they said to one another. He's come here, to, he's a stranger, but now he's become our judge. He, they, Lot wants to judge us. He's so judgmental. So he said, we'll deal worse with him than them. They pressed hard against the door to get in. Think of Moses, who went to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, who at that time was the largest military in the world the largest empire in the earth, 1,500 years before Christ. And Moses said, you've got about 3 million uh, Jewish people here, and, I, and God sent me here to tell you, let all these people go. And they were all slaves in Egypt. And Moses said, the Lord sent me. And Pharaoh laughed. In, in Exodus 5, 2, Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? I don't know any Lord. I'm the Lord here. So he ridiculed Moses. I think of David, who in 2 Samuel chapter 6 was so excited in bringing the ark to Jerusalem 
The ark represented the presence of God. It symbolized the, where you would go to worship and hear from God. And so he was moving the ark. When the previous king, Saul, never bothered the ark. In fact, he left it alone. It was out in some field when David found it. It was totally ignored. David brought it up to Jerusalem, the center of the Jewish nation, and made it a priority. And when, when David was able to do it, he was so happy that he danced around the ark as they were bringing it to Jerusalem. And when David walks into his house, his wife, Michael, who was the daughter of the previous king, so she was a princess, here's what she said, 2 Samuel 6.20. Oh, and this is sarcasm. Oh, how the king of Israel honored himself today. Oh, man, what a great majestic king you, you look like. You uncovered yourself before the eyes of these female servants as one of the vulgar fellows that has no shame. She mocked him. And David said to her, it was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father to bring this ark up and reign over Israel. God chose me and I danced before him. I will continue to be happy before the Lord, he said to her. And then he says this. This is what some people call David's finest hour. And he says, I will make myself even more contemptible than this and I will be abased in your eyes, but by these female servants I will be held in high esteem. Huh. You got to know who your audience is. Who do you want? Do you want to be known and honored among the rich and famous or do you want to be known and honored among the lowly, humble servants of God? And David said, by them I'll be held in honor. Some years ago, maybe four or five, we were having services here. And we had uh, Terry Simpson from Arkansas preach. And those of you who know, remember Terry Simpson, he, he has an anointing on him. And he hadn't actually gotten up to preach yet. We were in the praise time. And he was just about to get up and preach. And I was standing back against the wall and uh, as we were worshiping, the Holy Spirit just came on me. And I had to do something. I didn't know what to do. So I did the only thing that I could do. I ran. And I just took off to running. I ran around there, ran down through here, ran around there again, then ran right up the aisle. And people were, <laughs> it was like, hallelujah. I'm letting it loose. I'm letting my hair down for Jesus. 
And I would, I'd run by different ones, you know, and I'd glance at them out of the side of my head there, and I'd see, and some of them were like, what the heck? And others were like, hallelujah. <laughs> A display of the power of God often reveals hearts. Be careful about mocking things. Sometimes it's just the Holy Spirit and you do what you can do. And by the way, I didn't actually run, run. I'm more like clomped along. <laughs> but David tells this king's daughter, he said, I am not looked upon with respect by the rich and famous such as you, but by these lowly servants of God, I am honored. Then we think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Man, he's got like 50-some chapters. Jesus is compared to Jeremiah in Matthew 16. What a famous prophet in Israel. But in his day... Jeremiah 27, he says this, I am a laughing stock all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I, I cry, destruction is coming, but the word of the Lord is for me a reproach and a derision all day long. So you can tell a lot about a person by how they view the word of the Lord. Do they mock it? I remember being, when I was first started college, we had a professor who just ridiculed the Scripture. I, I survived by prayer and counsel from a godly man. Psalm 56.3 says, When I am afraid I put my trust in you, that is in God, whose word I praise in God I trust. His word I praise. Do you praise His word? Do you say to people, man, I love the Bible. You know you ought to read the Bible. They have a marriage problem. You ought to read the Bible. They have sickness. They have conflicts. They have necessities. And you say, do you know what will help you more than anything? What? Read the Bible. Oh, you know, if I, if I go to a restaurant and I open my Bible or I leave it sitting out there, you know, the Bible's recognizable. People just avoid me. They go around. <laughs> they don't sit next to me. And if, they, if there's a chair next to me, they'll pull it down. Sometimes I want to go, hey! <laughs> It's scaring them to death. His word I praise. Then think of the apostles in the New Testament, Acts 5.40. They called on the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. So they left the presence of that council rejoicing. They were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name, the stigma. They bore the stigma. We also think of Paul who wrote our text today. 
he writes of himself. We, we tend to think of Paul as some great man uh, in his day. He, in his day, he was not popular. He was not except among the lowly. A few church plants that he had started. But here's how he views himself. 1 Corinthians 4.13 When I'm slandered, I entreat gently. And we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. The scum of the world. That's the way they viewed Paul. Today we name them sons Paul, not back then. You know what scum is? In fact, I studied this a little bit some years ago. And the words, have you ever taken, maybe been several days without a bath? We used to go several days when I was growing up in Hills of Tennessee. Uh, we didn't have bathrooms inside. In fact, we didn't have bathrooms outside. <laughs> we had some facilities, but not a, a bathtub. So you had to bring in a galvanized tub and sit it in the living room next to the fire and uh, pour hot water into it. And about once a week, we'd get in that tub. Not together, but... We would get in. And then when you get out, there's like this ring around the tub. You know what that is? That's scum. Now that's the word that's used here in 1 Corinthians 4.13. We are like the scum of the world. That's the way they view Christianity. And Christians... We're the deplorables, <laughs> the true deplorables. 1 Corinthians 4, 9, Paul says, I think God has exhibited us apostles last like men sentenced to death because we are a spectacle, a theater to the world, angels, and men. In the Old Covenant, when you go down through the parade of prophets and the ridicule that was brought to them, at the end of Old Covenant age, in the beginning of the New, you have the apostles. Paul says, we're like the last of the prophetic persons who have now come to the end of the Old Covenant age. And he says, God is exhibiting us. It's, he says, it's almost like being in the Colosseums of Rome when they would... They would bring in all these violent and gross battles and fights with animals between men. And the last of all, you'd bring in those who had a death sentence. They all had to die and they would kill them as the last glorious, gory contest. Paul says, sometimes I think that's, that's the way we're viewed Last of all, a spectacle to angels and men in the world. But the greatest offense of all, and here we simply drill down. See, if we believe it's, it's an offense to some extent, if you believe in creation and not evolution, that offends some people. If you believe in Adam and Eve, that we are descendants of these historical figures, not that we are descendants of 
some oceanic amoeba which crawled out of the slime. But if you believe in Adam and Eve, if you believe in a biblical and covenantal marriage, that offends some people. And by the way, don't call it a traditional marriage. It's a biblical marriage. It's a covenantal marriage rooted in Scripture. If you believe in the local church and, and supporting it by the giving of tithes and offerings, that, that offends people. If you believe that God answers prayer and does miracles today in answer to prayer, if you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and the new birth and that God can change people at any stage or age, if you believe in a final and awful judgment in which only the believer in Christ escapes, all of these subject us to being outcast, to being rejected, to being ridiculed. At best, they roll their eyes or ignore us. At worst, we lose our jobs or position or status and are persecuted. Now, it is true, and let me add this, sometimes... We offend because we're somewhat offensive. Our personalities rub people raw or wrong way or, or we say at a bad time or in an ill manner. There are times when we are offensive and that's the reason people are offended. But I'm talking about the message itself and the Christian faith has a stigma. And if you're the most courteous, most polite, sweetest person in all the earth you still will be a, an offense to many because you're a Christian. You can talk about God. You can talk about religion. But here is the core offense. It is Christ and His cross. That's the core 1 Corinthians 1.22, the Jews want signs and the Gentiles want wisdom, but to them the cross is foolishness. But to us, it's the power of God and the salvation of God. The name of Jesus, no matter how courteously we say it or pray it, will offend. I had a funeral a couple of years ago. They, they asked me, do not bring up the name of Jesus. I didn't abide by their request. I, I tried to do it with discretion, but, but I, I thought, are you kidding? At a funeral, don't mention Jesus, the source of life and resurrection? That is the very place he should be proclaimed from the housetop. From the very beginning, Jesus' name was associated with reproach 
and bore a stigma. And by that I'm referring to Joseph and Mary. And you know this story. Mary is a young Jewish believer in the faith of her fathers. And she's kind of minding her own business. She's getting ready to get married to a wonderful young carpenter, skillful man named Joseph, another God-fearing Jewish man. And out of nowhere, an angel comes to visit her. Luke 1.31. And it makes this announcement to her. Uh, Mary, you're highly favored. You're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you're to call his name Jesus. He's going to be great. He's the Son of God, the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of David. And he will rule forever and have his kingdom It'll be no end. Now, do you know what her name... I just saw this a couple of weeks ago. Her question, her first question, this follows in verse 34, after Luke 1, Here's her question. How? <laughs> I'm a virgin. That's her first question. The angel, the next verse, answers. The Holy Spirit will come on you and overshadow you. And he says in the next verse, because nothing is impossible with God. If God wants to give a virgin a baby, God can do that. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. It, nothing is impossible with God. Okay. Try telling that to your parents or your neighbors. When you show up in a social setting, I mean, it's no, it was worse then than it is now. Today they probably wouldn't ask you. But then, first century Judaism, your friends and your family are strict Jews abiding by the law. And virginity was a high priority in Israel. And you show up and you say, uh, I am expecting a child. But don't worry, because God gave him to me by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, she, they would have no more believed that then than they do now, than they would now. Even if Mary is flawless in character. What about Joseph? What's he going to believe? Joseph would not have believed Mary. Would you? So how did Joseph become convinced? An angel had to go to Joseph. Joseph, don't be afraid. Here's what's going to happen. Okay. No one in the first century would have believed it, but Mary and Joseph lived with the reproach 
that was on their life and when Jesus grew up was on him. Did you know he bore not only our sins, but Isaiah 53 says our shame. Did you know when you stand before God, you not only will not be accountable for your sin because he died for them, but you will have no shame because Jesus bore your shame for your past sins. He paid for that. There'll be no shame in heaven. Can I get an amen? amen. Praise God. <laughs> so when Jesus is arguing in John 8, 41 with the Pharisees, this was common knowledge. Oh, we know about Joseph and Mary. He's, so Jesus is debating the Pharisees in John 8, 41 and they're debating a true descendant of Abraham. And they lose the argument and they, and they say one more thing to Jesus. They say to Jesus, well, we weren't born of fornication. Oh, there's a barb in that. John 8, 41, in discussing who's truly born of Abraham, they say to Jesus, at least we're not born out of sexual immorality. And they throw that at Jesus as the shame that was well known in Israel. Joseph and Mary. Je Jesus is illegitimate. The word that we don't use it today so much, but the word that you would use is bastard. That was a word that was common when I translated the King James Version of the Bible. Even today, the Jews, if you look in the Talmud, which is a commentary, a running commentary through the history of Israel, the Jews say that Jesus did exist, but he, the father of Jesus was a Roman soldier named Pantera. They do not believe Jesus was born of a virgin. <laughs> it's the shame. It was on God's people in the Old Testament. It was on Jesus. And it's on, it was on the apostles. It was on Paul. He said, I, I've borne the stigma of my faith and my body proves it. I have evidence of it. Now, I have three things I want to close with, but actually... These, this is introduction. The actual sermon is next Sunday. You got to come back next Sunday to get part two. <clears throat> the actual sermon next Sunday is the core offense, Christ and his cross. So we're going to look at that next week. Why is it so hard for people to embrace? But before we leave this morning, let me give you three quick things about bearing the shame or the stigma of the Christian faith. Number one, it was predicted in the Old Testament. Romans 9.33, Paul says, 
as it is written, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, but whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. That is, they will not be disappointed in him. As it is written, he's quoting from Isaiah 28, 16. Isaiah predicted there's going, to be, there's going to be one who will be like a stone on which people stumble over. A rock which will offend people. Like that doesn't belong here. So we are like a people who bear his name. And I give you this verse, 1 Peter 4, 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. It was predicted in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, he would be a stumbling block and an offense. And those who embrace him and are identified with him will bear the stigma of his name. So be it. If you want to be real popular in the world, and these, these guys who get on uh, country music shows and they get on uh, uh, the music award shows and they say, first of all, I, I want to just thank God and my mama. Have you ever heard anybody say, I want to thank Jesus and I'm grateful for the cross? <laughs> now that would be unusual. I haven't heard that. Maybe somebody has, but I have never heard that. Of course, I never watch them anyway, so that's the problem. It's predicted in the Old Testament. Second, this shame or stigma is a great privilege that we have. Acts 5.40, they called on the apostles and beat them and charged them not to speak in his name. And they left rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer the dishonor for his name. They ceased not to preach. Notice it does not say they rejoiced that they were worthy. It says they rejoiced that they were accounted as worthy. We can't even really be worthy of suffering the shame. It is such an honor to carry that shame of being a Christian. So we just need to blank out. We just need to tell everybody if they ask unashamedly, look, I'm a Christian. I believe the Bible. I believe everything the Bible says. I believe that Jesus was a virgin. Uh, uh, well, I believe he's a virgin, but I also believe he's virgin born. And I believe he lived a sinless life. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was resurrected the third day. I believe he's coming again. I believe all that. So do what you will. Just straight out. It is a privilege. And if we get blowback, then hallelujah for his name. He accounted me worthy to at least suffer a little bit. I, I was going to a meeting some years ago um, where I had taken a stand. This is before we started the church here, Mother Church. And all the men called me in. And this was years ago. And I knew I was headed into the lion's den. And I, on the way over there, to go into that meeting full of somewhat angry men of the church, 
I felt the Holy Spirit come on me so beautifully. There was, the joy was incredible. And I walked into that room and it wouldn't have mattered what they did to me. I was so happy I couldn't hardly stand it. And I walked out unscathed. 20 years later, I'm still here. And most of them are gone. <laughs> it reminds me of the preacher. The deacons called him in and said, Preacher, it's time for you to leave. And this actually happened uh, to a pastor in Dallas. And the preacher looked at him and said, have you seen my library? <laughs> he said, do you know how long it would take me to move all them books? It'd be so much easier if you guys left. <laughs> I said, amen. <laughs> and I got a bigger one than he's got. One more thing. All Christians will be persecuted. John 15, 19. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world... I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. See, you're not one of them. You're different. Just embrace your difference. Come out of the closet. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying. As a Christian. Otherwise, stay in the closet. <laughs> I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If you follow Jesus, you're going to get some kind of reaction from the world. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. Don't be shocked. Embrace it as a privilege. It's predicted in the Old Testament. And it's a it's a part of following Jesus. It's who we are. And I praise God for it. Next week, we're going, to, we're going to look at the core offense that people cannot get over. Why is, it, is Christ and His cross so offensive? So that's next Sunday morning. hope you'll join us. Ushers, you come. Let's worship our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ.